Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello and welcome to the Horticulture Week podcast. I'm Rachel Forsyth, Senior Reporter at Hort Week, and today I'm joined by Kim Wilkie. Kim works as a Strategic and Conceptual Landscape Consultant, and we'll delve into exactly what that means today. Uh, But it's work that has taken him all over the world, from France to the USA, from Oman, right back to England and to Hampshire, where he is now based. I believe you're still based there, Kim? Yes, yes. Um, Trying to farm as well as be a landscape architect. Amazing. And what kind of animals are you are you working with? Long longhorn cattle and then lots of poultry, ducks and turkeys and chickens. Oh, beautiful. So I grew up on a farm, so this is speaking to my heart here. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit more about being a strategic and conceptual landscape consultant? What does that involve? Everything has to start with land and water. And and so for most projects now, um, they ask planners ask for them to be landscape led. And I think there's a bit of confusion about what landscape-led means. But for me, it's looking at the soil, the topography, the way that water has formed the shape of the land, and then also understanding the human history and the stories that go along with that land. So you you, you come to any site with a picture of how everything has evolved over the last several thousand years, and uh, and then that suggests where it goes forward next. And so, in terms of strategic and conceptual work, it's it's working with that that deep understanding of the land, and um, and allowing any changes to it um, to be framed with that history, but also with all of the needs of the present and the future. Mm. Beautiful. And you've written a book which discusses some of the projects that you've worked on within this realm of work. What does it sort of look to explore? Give me your elevator pitch, if you will. (laughs) What does the book explore and what are some of the projects you kind of discuss within that? Well, the book is called Led by the Land. And and it is, I hope, showing 
how all of the work I have I've done has been led by the land. And so it it sort of ranges from the Gulag Archipelago um, up in the White Sea in the Arctic Circle north of Archangel, um, right down to um, projects that I worked on in southern Chile. And in each of them, it's, it's trying to show how soil, water, and human stories have, have framed the designs that have gone along with that. So um, the, the idea is that although one's working within a, a very big context of several thousand years and um, several million years of geology, you're always looking forward to how the story can be continued and how new design understands that, but, um, but works with our, our current needs and, and then tries to forestall climate crisis um, in, into the future. Do you have any examples of these projects? What were you doing in the Arctic, for example? The Arctic Circle one is, is really amazing. It, it's, um, it's a little cluster of, of islands um, where the Earth's crust is quite thin. So you do get heat coming up from, um, from under the Earth. And, and those islands have been sacred for about 5,000 years. So there are um, uh, spirals of stones and, and cairns where um, people from Japan, Vikings, uh, all over the world visited those islands. And then it became the, um, the main monastery, one of the most sacred monasteries in Russia for the old believers. And, and they, um, they managed to, to build this settlement that where six months of the year, it, it's completely isolated by frozen sea and darkness. And then for the rest of the time, actually you get this spurt of growth. And, and so as well as being sacred for the Russian Orthodox Church, it was also um, an extraordinarily fragile environment where harvesting just the right amount of seaweed, um, not felling any trees, um, making sure that you've got enough bees to pollinate the vegetable gardens um, and uh, to make not only enough honey, but also enough um, wax for the six months of, um, of darkness. And also then draining sufficient meadows to have sufficient cattle to produce sufficient dung that you can fertilize the vegetables and make hay. So it's just amazing fragile environment. And then the, um, with the Russian revolution, it was actually the start of the Gulag archipelago. So it was where everyone, the intellectuals were sent um, and, and then under Stalin became one of the most vicious um, penal colonies uh, that's ever existed. Um, as, as recorded by Solzhenitsyn. So my task there was to um, say, how do we take this World Heritage Site forward um, as something where it is a very fragile environment, it is a sacred environment, there are these terrible memories, and it needs an economy um, from tourism. So how do you match all of those together and raise funds from around the world to make it happen? So that. It was a very long way of answering what that project involved, but in some ways it, it kind of encapsulates everything I've been talking about.
you have worked all over the world in so many different locations. Is there anything that you sort of bring back to the UK that you've learned from those other countries? Or equally, is there anything that the UK could teach other countries? Well, that that's really interesting because in the 18th century, there was this, this moment when England in particular um, developed the English landscape movement, which was a very different way of approaching landscape and the natural world. Um, and it, it was a moment when rather than going for very intricate, divinely ordered um, gardens that had been pioneered by the Italians, the French and the Dutch, um, the English split away and went for much more naturalistic landscapes where just um, the celebration of uh, a farm, a well-farmed land was seen as beautiful in itself. And so um, the vistas stopped focusing on um, statues of, um, of Louis XIV and, and opened up into actively productive farmland based much more on the concepts of the um, Roman poets of the first century before Christ. And so an actively productive landscape was seen as beautiful for its own sake. And that, that then changed into the picturesque movement, which was focused much more on how cute it looked, um, and then exported around the continent and the world um, as the English garden movement, which was slightly uh, a, a bit of a, a change and a travesty from what the original concept was. But I'm afraid lawns and golf courses and um, picturesque landscapes are, are something that have emerged from, from a mistranslation of the English landscape movement. But that, that contact with man as part of the natural environment and well-farmed land is something that is really um, working successfully here and across in the United States. And I think there is a whole surge of movement for um, farming land well with natural systems and with wildlife. Yeah, because when we spoke a few years ago, we found out we had quite a surprising connection because you were telling me about your work with the farm that I was living on at the time. It was Goodwood, wasn't it? Yes, yes. So you're still undertaking that sort of work? Yes, and interestingly now combining it with designs for for new towns and extensions of existing towns. So connecting those two. Yes, so that the surrounding farmland is is completely integrated with the, the with new development and new settlement. Um, so you get meadows and market gardens and allotments and orchards um, being an integral part of any new settlement and producing both food and, and, and multifunctional landscapes that, um, that are good for wildlife, good for the soil, absorb water, um, and, and are really enjoyable to, to walk through. So I think that, that integration of cities with well-farmed land is, is what's happening now. Hmm. Yeah, and I hope Goodwood is still doing an exceptional job. Of course it is, yes. Well, they really pioneered uh, organic farming um, a long time ago. Yeah, it was something that drew my, my father to the farm in the first place, so that's great to hear. And you've also um, spoken previously about the power of grass, really, for carbon capture. 
Is that something you're still quite, you know, passionate about? Yes, very, very much so. I think looking at carbon in isolation is um, uh, is missing half the point. You need to look at how you manage soil and water well, uh, as well as ca- capturing carbon. And um, counterintuitively, um, flood meadows grazed by cattle uh, sequester carbon into the ground faster and more permanently than any amount of woodland or or any other form of carbon capture. So actually deep-rooted herbal lay flood meadow grassland grazed by cows is one of the best ways of sequestering carbon and incredibly rich in wildlife, good for water storage and water um, purification and produces food. So some very nice synergies there. And, And the more one thinks of all of these things together rather than how do we clean water or how do we capture carbon or how do we increase biodiversity? I think if you farm the land or manage the land well with long-term stewardship, it addresses all of these things simultaneously. Which is lovely. I feel like cows have got quite a bad rep in the in the carbon climate crisis, <laughs> but it's uh, nice to hear that they can they can do their part. Is that something you're doing on your own farm as well? Yes, it is. Yes. And I'm mystified by by the campaign against cows. What what I absolutely endorse is factory farming should be stopped as soon as possible. It is it is disastrous, and the huge American feedlots and the felling of the Amazon rainforest for soya to feed cattle is is completely wrong. But um, raising cows on um, deep herbal um, lays in climates like these northern climates where grass grows really well and integrating that with, um, with wildlife and, and soil protection seems completely the right way to go. So if only the campaign were to stop factory farming and, and give cows a better life, it would be much more resonant. Yeah, absolutely. And is that one of the biggest critical changes you think we kind of need to make when it comes to tackling the climate crisis? Or is there other things that we need to be focusing on? I actually think industrial farming is at the root of the problem. And and as soon as we revert to the idea that soil and farming is about biology and not just about chemistry, and and that the quality of the food and the microbiome health of the soil and the food is key to climate change, to human health, um, to biodiversity. Just We just need to reframe how we're looking at things. And, and industrial farming, I, I think, is, is the root of all evil. Mm, well, I, I can't disagree with you there. I think for some people, though, bringing it back to sort of more of a hu- individual human level, some people feel sort of quite overwhelmed knowing what they can do. Do you have any advice for them or even, you know, small businesses who who really want to make these changes, but they're just struggling to know where to start, maybe? I, I think the difficulty is if, if one tries to solve all of the planetary issues on your own, you're going to feel just swamped. Um, I, I think making just sensible choices about what you eat, making sure... Um, that it 
does come from um, a, a sustainable way of, of growing food, um, of growing as much food as you can yourself if you're interested in it, of not wasting water, not wasting um, plastics and things like that. It, I think it's, it's just in the way that we were saying the secret to climate change is farming well, I think the secret to each of us doing uh, the right thing is is living well, not living irresponsibly. And I think an awful lot of that comes down to instinct and choice rather than um, hair shirt sacrifices. It, it is it's just a question of being sensible, I think. Yeah, yeah, that's really nicely put. Fantastic. That's been so interesting. Um, that just leaves me with our last question, which we always ask our guests. What plant would you take to a desert island? Well, <laughs> yeah, you did warn me about this. And I have to say, I, I've always been perplexed by this desert island concept because I think it's based on Robinson Crusoe. Um, and so it's actually a tropical island rather than a desert island. And, and I think what they mean is a deserted island. Um, so I'm actually going to um, flip it back to where we started with the um, Solovki and the Gulag Archipelago in the White Sea and say that um, if one is um, at the edge of environmental fragility and trying to survive on um, a deserted island, the way that um, they harvested and, and protected seaweed um, up in the um, Arctic Circle was absolutely magnificent. So my plant would be seaweed, if if it counts as a plant at all. Yeah, I love that. I've not heard that one before, but I think that's very clever. <laughs> You'll probably have a thriving community there in no time, Kim. <laughs> okay. Well, a huge thank you to Kim. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been really interesting. I'm Rachel Forsyth, and this has been the Horticulture Week podcast. Make sure you never miss one. Subscribe or follow Horticulture Week podcasts via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your preferred podcast platform. If you are interested in producing a podcast for Horticulture Week, email us at portweek at haymarket.com. And a huge thank you again to Kim. Goodbye for now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlingbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.